and take out your Bibles if you have one this evening. Turn to the book of Mark. Last week we introduced this new series, and we introduced the, the book of Mark, which presents Jesus as the servant. What an amazing study we had last week, seeing so clearly Mark present Jesus in a totally different light than did Matthew or Luke or John. Instead of relegating Mark to that unnecessary gospel, the one that is kind of the leftover gospel, the shorter gospel, the one that does not include what the other ones include, instead of that, we learn that Mark plays a pivotal role in understanding the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of Jesus himself, as it presents Jesus as a servant. Let me begin reading in verse number 23 in the first chapter of the book of Mark. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is or what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits. They do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. This evening we're going to see in the passage here, continuing in the first chapter, the servant, the supreme servant, the suffering servant, the servant, when he came, he sought to serve. The servant sought to serve. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this evening and for the uplifting time we've had just singing praises to you. And Lord, we don't do it often enough. I pray, Lord, that now you might settle your Holy Spirit on this place. Give us a fresh vision of who you really are. Help us to see this aspect of you, you who came down to be a servant. Lord, I thank you for it. I thank you for your humility. I thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us the privilege of having your Holy Spirit as our teacher. Guide us, I pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus sought serving opportunities when he came to this earth. He looked for them. How can I serve people? In this passage, starts right off, verse 23, there was in their synagogue, that's a place of a meeting place, where the Jews would meet together, and they would discuss biblical things, spiritual things. They would, they would come together for prayer. That's where Jesus oftentimes showed up. He showed up in the synagogue. And he would teach them from the scriptures. Well, this particular time when he went to the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean spirit. We would say a demon. This man had a, a demon in him. And he cried out, saying, the spirit, the demon, cried out, saying, let us alone, for what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? What we see here is, quite frankly, this was an unwelcome guest at church. And if there's a demon here tonight, he's unwelcome. I don't want him here. No demon has a place in the church of Jesus Christ because he's not there to learn. 
He's not there to be edified. He's not there to grow in grace. He's not there to learn more about Jesus. He's there to disrupt and destroy. He's there to divide. He's there to discourage and to destroy. But notice that demon came in somebody. That demon doesn't come floating in and just appear. That demon was in a man. This demon was apparently quite comfortable in the synagogue. You don't see the demon squirming when he came in. You don't see the, dirt. the demon uh, having a hard time looking around and saying, oh, I shouldn't be here. No, he was quite comfortable in church. But this old demon, he was quite comfortable singing the songs. He's quite comfortable carrying the Bible. It's fine, no problem. He may actually have been a frequent attender at this synagogue. His presence, however, had remained a secret. Nobody knew it until Jesus showed up. I want you to think about that. Nobody knew it until Jesus showed up. You think it's important for Jesus to show up at a church meeting? You think it's important that the Spirit of God, the living Spirit of Jesus, shows up in a church service? Do you think it's important? If he doesn't think it's worth investing in, he doesn't show up. What spiritual good can come? So here this man is with this demon. He comes to church, to synagogue. And he's, and he's apparently been there before. It's not new to him. And he's been hiding this. Nobody knows about it until Jesus shows up. Well, what damage could this demon have been doing? What damage in the spirit, the attitude of this man that came in? Can you imagine the attitude of a demon-filled man? That man is not going to be praising God. That man is not going to be saying, Amen, preacher. That demon is going to be looking for somebody that's discouraged, that he can discourage even further. That demon is going to be looking for somebody that says, Did you hear what that pastor just said? Do you really believe what they said? demon is going to be looking to divide the church of God. How can we here at Hope Baptist keep our church demon-free? Well, it's interesting. The Bible actually gives us some, some very practical, hands-on things that we can do. For instance, in James 4, 7, sub submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Most of us are good at quoting that part, resist the devil and he'll flee, but we fail to remember the first part of that admonition. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Most times when somebody is struggling with a demonic attack, when somebody is struggling with a temptation, they just can't get away from it. It's because of the first part they've ignored. They don't want to submit their will to his. Submit yourselves, and then resist, and then he'll flee. Submit to God and resist the devil. Secondly, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Stay alert to his attacks. Don't just float along in your Christian life thinking that everything is going to be hunky-dory. You're protected, no problem. I don't need to even think about it because I'm fine. We're to be circumspect, always looking, always keeping our eyes open 
Stay alert. Remember, the devil is out there as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, totally destroy, eat up completely is what it literally means. Thirdly, in 2 Timothy, we're, we learn that one of the ways that we can keep our church demon-free is to, when sin comes along, is to simply repent. Keep short accounts with God. 2 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 24, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. How? By turning to God in repentance. They may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. How? The previous verse teaches them, teaches us, by turning to God in repentance, who are taken captive by him at his will. Repent. Repent. Simply repent. Confess that wicked sin. Repent from it. How can we keep Hope Baptist demon-free? Well, 1 Timothy teaches us in chapter 3 and verse 6 and 7, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. We learn here to stay humble and keep a good testimony. Stay humble. Oh, the dangers of pride. Oh, the dangers of getting puffed up. Keep anger in check. Ephesians 4, 26, 27, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Seems to be a tie between our ungodly anger and giving Satan control of our lives. Get angry at somebody. Get angry at somebody. Not as the Lord Jesus. If you truly evaluate the times you've got angry, my guess is, like me, they have not been righteous. They've not been trying to clear out the temple of the money changers. They've not been trying to protect the holiness of God's house. They've because, it's because somebody got in our way. Somebody didn't do what we wanted them to do. Selfish things made us angry. What we fail to understand is that anger gave place, control, over to the evil one. Keep anger in check. And then Ephesians 6.11 tells us to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stay fully protected spiritually. He was an unwelcome guest at church. How do we keep him out? Well, here we're, we're told. How do we keep him out? of the church. Don't let any church member bring him in. Notice it says that the man was in the spirit. This is interesting. Uh, with an unclean spirit. There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now if you literally take every word from the original and you translate it out, literally you could say in an unclean spirit. There was a man in an unclean 
spirit. It gives us the very same meaning as being in Christ. In Christ. He was in an unclean spirit. You see, the unclean spirit was in the man, but the man was also in the unclean spirit. It's interesting that Luke's gospel of the same account says, which had a spirit of an unclean devil. Mark emphasized the control the demon had over the man. He was possessed or controlled by him. The man was literally the servant of that demon. What the demon told him to do, he would do. What are we studying in the book of Mark? Jesus as the servant. So no wonder Mark would emphasize this man being servant of this demon. He was in the spirit, the wrong spirit. And then we see the demon's irreverence. The devil addressed the Lord. Interestingly, I'd never considered this. When the devil spoke out in addressing the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he called him Jesus of Nazareth. What's the big deal? Jesus was of Nazareth. I believe the devil sought to demean him. You see, the Bible tells us no good thing cometh from Nazareth. He also sought to discredit him, demeaning him. Surely the Messiah would never come from Nazareth. But Jesus had power over the demon. He commanded the devil to hold thy peace. The phrase literally means be muzzled. Be muzzled, just like you take a muzzle and put it on a dog's mouth. Be muzzled, demon. He clamped the devil's mouth shut. He displayed his authority over the demonic world. And the devil was displaying some insubordination. Now think about this. Again, I'd never fully considered this. When a demon is told to do something, do you suppose the demon automatically says, yes, sir, I'll do whatever you want. I will submit to you, yes, sir. Does that sound demonic to you? What did he do? He threw a fit. He tore that man. He cried out. Sounds a little bit like a temper tantrum. I'm sure none of your kids ever threw a temper tantrum. My kids did. And it wasn't, they were not in the spirit of Christ when they were doing it. They were displaying their own anger and their own flesh. I didn't get my way. That demon didn't get his way. He's crying out. He's tearing at that man as he comes out. As he displays his insubordination. I'm sure we would never do that. And God speaks to us. When God tells us to do something, certainly we would not respond that way. We would not throw a little fit. We would not quit our devotions for a day or two. We would not come to church but not sing out of the songs like we should. We would not have this little, a little game we play with God where we go through all the motions, but there is no heart investment. Verse 29, it goes on. And forth, forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, 
they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother, this is Peter, Simon Peter, Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. So much rich truth of servanthood in this passage. Jesus, who now we know because of Mark's introduction, was the servant, looking for opportunities to serve. He learns that the mother of Peter was sick. He graciously then ministered to her. The fever left immediately. Then what did she do? Then she, who had been touched by the servant, went and served. That's sweet. When she was lifted up and healed by the suffering servant himself, she then went and ministered to their needs. That was a supernatural healing of one servant to another. Verse 32, And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. Picture this, this, uh, this house built of stone. And it's on a, on a stone walkway. And as you go out of the house through the, through the, 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 uh, the, the, the doorway, you step out actually into the street. So, so the house door is right there on the street. So you step out of your door from your house in this, in this stone building, you step right onto the street. Now you're in the public street there, people coming and going all the time. Jesus comes into the house, and he's ministering there. Of course, he heals Peter's mother. And, and a crowd begins to gather. Where is the crowd? The crowd comes into their home. This is so Eastern concept. We have such a hard time grasping this. that They fill the home up because they want to be with Jesus. They want to be around him. So Jesus is getting pushed more and more against the wall as this crowd is coming. And he's teaching and, and preaching and ministering and healing. The crowd continues to grow, and the crowd gets so full that it begins to block the way in and out. People can't get out. People can't get in. There's too many people there. The crowd begins to spill out onto the pathway, the, 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 the concrete walkway out there, the, 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 uh, the, the drive. The whole place is full of swarming with people now, all trying to get into this house that wasn't that big. Because Jesus is there. You see, Jesus, the servant, was attractive. Now, I'm not talking about his physical appearance. I'm talking about his nature. He attracted people to him. They wanted to be with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus sought to serve. A true servant is attractive. John 12, 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. You see, the devils here recognized who Jesus was, and they wanted to cry out and beg to be left alone. But Jesus silenced them. He muzzled them. Jesus' servanthood was attractive. Thirdly, verse 35 and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. This is phenomenal. <clears throat> Don't miss this. 
First of all, Jesus served, I'm sure, late into the evening. And the Bible says way before the morning, before the sun came up, he went out by himself to find a solitary place to pray. He doesn't need to pray. He's God. He can stay in bed. He can sleep some extra hours. Because he's God. He doesn't need to get up and his body already aching because he's already exercised himself too much. He's, he's sleep deprived. He doesn't need to get up. He's God. He can stay in bed if he wants to. He can commune with God, maybe hum a few bars of something. But let's not forget that when Jesus came, Jesus set aside his powers of deity so that he could experience life here as a man. Therefore, Jesus, in order for him to have the spiritual power to do what he needed to do on his mission here on earth, had to go and plead with the Father. He had to pray. As a man, he had to pray. So early in the morning, before the sun even thought about coming up, he was out there on his face before his Father. He was praying. Jesus needed to agonize in prayer. Prayer with Jesus was not simply a model for us. We oftentimes think the reason Jesus pay, prayed was to be an example for us. Sure, he prayed because he wanted to teach us to pray. It's far more than that. <clears throat> he prayed because he had to pray. He wanted the power of God upon his ministry. He came to fulfill a purpose. He came to serve. And in order for him to be effective as a servant, he needed to pray. That begs a logical question. If Jesus, for his ministry, had to pray, how important is it for us? If you and I are going to be effective at all for Christ, how important is it for us to pray? And when we are tired, when we can't get up in the morning, when we can't break ourselves away from the bed to spend a little bit of time with God in the morning, how can we expect to be effective in our lives for Christ? Jesus needed to pray. He needed power for his first preaching and healing ministry in Luke 5, 16. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. He prayed for power in ministry. And we need to pray for power in our ministries. I pray for power as I preach, as I teach. I pray for power as I go out door knocking. I pray for power as I counsel individuals. I pray for power in my own home. I pray for power. You in your own life and the people with whom you deal need power. Pray for power, for preaching, for teaching, for witnessing. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, Luke teaches us and continued all night in prayer to God. When did he do that? The story continues teaching us he did that right before choosing his 12 apostles. He prayed all night for wisdom. God, lead me. Give me your mind. He prayed all night. We need to pray before big, decision, big decisions. Big purchases. Job changes. We need to pray. Before entering into certain relationships. In Luke 9, 18, 
talks about Jesus feeding the 5,000. It came to pass as he was alone praying. Interesting. His disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? This is after the mountaintop experience of feeding the 5,000. He was out praying alone. So he feeds the 5,000. What a miraculous time it was. My, those disciples were still reeling in, in glory. They saw him take just those few loaves and few fish and feed 5,000. Incredible. This is wonderful. And all those baskets that were left over. Wow. Wasn't that incredible, Peter? Sure was, John. Wow. Where's Jesus? Out by himself. Pray. Why? Oftentimes, after those mountaintop experiences, the devil wants to knock every ounce of spiritual excitement out of us. But we become very vulnerable. And he watches. And we think all of a sudden, we're walking in cloud nine. We're so excited because of all that God did for me at camp. All that did God did for me at this revival, this preaching service, what God showed me out of his word, walking cloud nine, I'm so strong now in the Lord. When you think you're strong, careful. Jesus prayed. In Luke 9, verse 28 and 29, it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. As he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. He prayed before revealing his glory to three of his disciples. Thought about that. Perhaps we should pray more energetically that the world might see Jesus in us. Well, I'm not asking for a transfiguration. But I'm asking for the reality of Jesus to reflect himself through me. For the world to see not me, but Jesus in me. So when I share the gospel with someone, they're not hearing me, they're hearing him. They're not seeing me, they're seeing him. How can that be? Perhaps I need to pray and ask God. In verse 36 and following, it says, And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. When they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And when he had said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Isn't that a unique thing? Or, 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 a, 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 something that Jesus did that didn't make a lot of sense at first. Here Jesus has performed these amazing miracles. He's fed the 5,000. And the crowds are gathering. They want to be with him. They're just waiting. They're waiting to be with him. And the crowd is all, they're coming from all the countryside, gathering to see Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus said, let's leave here and go to the next place. Let, let's leave the multitude now and go on to the next synagogues. Jesus went away from the crowd of seekers here. Instead of returning with Peter and his entourage back to those throngs of people that came to have more time with Jesus, the wonderful miracle man, he told them they would be going to other towns to preach. Interesting, he, he went to those towns that had a synagogue. 
it was by decree of the rabbis that in every place where there were at least 10 Israel men, 10 Israelis, a place must be provided for prayer called a synagogue. So instead of returning to Capernaum, Jesus went to the many other towns in Galilee preaching his message of repentance and the kingdom throughout. You ever notice that Jesus doesn't always do what you expect him to do? You ever notice the more you try to put Jesus in a box and determine here's what he's going to do, the more he jumps out of the box? I think he simply wants us to let God be God and every man a liar. In verse 40, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. Jesus showed his compassion. His compassion. I got saved because of a compassionate Savior. I didn't come running and kneeling down to a vengeful, judgmental God. I got saved because I was told that Jesus loves me. From a child, I was taught, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the more I learned about Jesus, the more I believed that, that he was a loving, attractive Savior. And so I came to Jesus begging forgiveness, trusting Him because of His nature, His compassionate nature. And we see that on full display here as Jesus was compassionate. Interesting, <clears throat> Jesus said, if, the, oh, I'm sorry, the, the leper said to Jesus, if you can, I'm sorry, <laughs> the leper said, if you will, you can. Not, if you can, you will. The leper believed that Jesus could heal him. If you choose to, I know you can. Do you know that he can? In your life, whatever the need, do you know that he can? Whatever it happens to be, whatever the need that you have, Physical, healing, financial, uh, uh, interpersonal issues, job situation, whatever the situation, do you really believe that he can? What we see here is faith of the helpless. This man was a leper, completely helpless, an outcast from society. No man wanted to be around this man. In fact, it was against the law to get close to him and touch him. It was against the law. What do we see Jesus doing? <clears throat> Jesus showed his compassion. In fact, the leper did not repulse Jesus. Jesus did not say, ooh, gross. I can't be around you. Get away from me, leper. Now, that's all the leper has heard. Jesus reached out and touched the leper. Touched him. Jesus' skin touching the skin of a leper. Nobody dared touch a leper. Leprosy was a very contagious disease. You see, what moves Jesus 
is our faith and his compassion. Of course, Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We see someone helpless, but faithful and God's compassion. When Jesus came to earth, he set aside his deity, the powers of deity. He set them aside so that he could experience life as a human being, so that he could experience temptations like what you go through, so his body could experience pain, his nerve endings could be hurt just like yours, his emotions could be hurt, and his feelings could be hurt just like yours. And Hebrews says we don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Instead, our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, knows exactly how we feel. Have your feelings been hurt? So were his. He says, I know all about it. Would you confide in me, he says. I'm compassionate and I came to serve. Jesus came to serve. We have the most incredible Savior. He is a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious and faithful God. He is ours. And if the devil has deceived you into thinking that because of your offense, whatever you did, you don't have the right to come to anymore, that's a lie. And let's get things cleared up between you and God. And let's sweeten that relationship once again and come to him and repent. Repent of your wickedness and trust him coming to this incredible servant who seeks you to minister to your needs. Now let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love. And Lord, thank you for being a servant. In so doing, I know that that's exactly what you want us to do. You want us, first of all, to be your servant. To respond immediately at whatever you tell us to do. And then just like the lovely Lord Jesus, you want us to seek to serve. Looking for opportunities. Lord, would you move across our fellowship right now? And would you speak to each heart? And would you shape our hearts more in the image of your heart? Enlarge our hearts, and Lord, energize us to be the witness and the servant that you want us to be. We love you so much, in Jesus' name, amen.